Hey guys, welcome to episode two of our Team Lacrosse Academy podcast. I'm your host, Coach Katie, and today we are going to be talking about the differences between divisions and the different college playing opportunities. So with that, we're going to dive right in. All right, so when I start chatting with athletes about their recruiting journey and putting together a target list of schools, they're always so amazed by the amount of opportunities that are actually out there. Um, so today I'm going to break those down, kind of talk about the major differences, uh, the major recruiting dates for each, and then just kind of paint a picture of the lifestyle of each division um, an opportunity to hopefully give you guys a better understanding of the landscape of college lacrosse. Um, so with that, we're going to start with the NCAA, which is obviously the most well-known. The NCAA is the governing body for about 1,200 schools. Uh, they are broken down into three divisions, one, two, and three, and they oversee 23 sports. Um, within NCAA Division One Women's Lacrosse, there are about 117 programs. Um, with D1, you have athletic scholarships. These are usually your larger big name schools and they have larger budgets. The average roster size is about 30 girls. Um, in terms of lifestyle, at the Division One level, you eat, sleep, and breathe. Any Division One athlete will tell you that their life is their sport. Uh, your education isn't necessarily secondary, but they're probably tied for first. Um, you have training, practices, film sessions, coaches meetings, uh, nutrition meetings, uh, all in addition to your normal schoolwork. Uh, you have a longer fall ball season. It's just a really rigorous, um, rigorous experience. I mean, you are, you are your sport. Um, as a division one athlete, you're just truly dedicated to your sport for the next four years. Now, with that being said, within division one, you have the Ivy leagues tucked up under that. Um, Eight schools, Brown, Columbia, Cornell, UPenn, Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Uh, the only difference with those schools uh, is, is the athletic scholarship component. Uh, they do not offer athletic or academic scholarships. Uh, Ivy Leagues are need-based um, in terms of financial aid, and that is determined on a school-by-school -school basis. Um, important recruiting dates for Division One. Division One can send non-recruiting materials out at any time. Uh, the important date to remember is September 1st of your junior year. Upon that date, um, communication opens up and officials can begin off-campus evaluations. Uh, really the lines of communication between athlete and coach uh, or prospective athlete and coach open up on that September 1st. That's, that's the date to remember for Division I. Uh, moving on to Division II. Uh, Division II also offers athletic scholarships if they are fully funded usually getting a little bit smaller school feel with this. So it's D1 competition level-ish, but at these smaller schools. Um, average roster size is 23, and there are 104, about 114 Division II women's lacrosse programs in the country right now. Um, in terms of lifestyle, it's just a little bit more balanced. Uh, still high level of competition, but there is a little bit more of a focus on the academics at the Division II level. Uh, quote from a friend who played uh, Division II was, I'd rather be a big fish in a smaller pond. She could have gone and played D1, but at the D2, she was a standout player for all four years. Um, it's still demanding, but it's just not quite as intense as that D1 experience. Um, important recruiting dates. 
Again, non-recruiting materials can go out at any time, uh, but July 15th, after your sophomore year, that's the date to remember. That mirrors that September 1 of your D1 with communication opening up, unofficials beginning, and off-campus evaluation. So July 15th is the date to remember for Division II. Uh, Division Three, there are an outstanding 293 programs as of right now. Uh, at the Division Three level, there are no athletic scholarships, though. There are academic and non-athletic only. As someone who played both Division One and Division Three, I will tell you I got almost as much money at Division Three as I did at Division One based on my academics and other scholarships and grants that my coach helped me gain access to. Uh, so don't think that Division Three just because they don't offer athletic money, that there isn't an opportunity for um, your school to be affordable. At the Division Three level, there's definitely more of an emphasis on the student-athlete lifestyle. So you're a student first, athlete second. Um, this more balanced lifestyle at this level also gives athletes the opportunity to be involved in things outside of school and lacrosse. So with this level, you're going to be able to be on student government. You're going to be able to be the president of a club, um, you know, and involved in other extracurricular activities. Um, maybe work a part-time job if you want to. Um, but it definitely... It definitely fosters an environment where, where you can be involved in other things and still compete at a very high level. Um, important recruiting dates uh, for the Division Three level. Um, digital communication calls um, and recruiting materials can, can happen at any time, but after sophomore year is when that off-campus uh, contact can happen. And what I mean by that is if you are a club player playing at a tournament uh, after your sophomore year, um, a Division three college coach can come talk to you at that tournament after your final uh, competition. So after your last game of that tournament, they can come chat with you. Um, you're going to see a lot of these D1, D2, D3 coaches uh, chatting with club coaches before these dates about players uh, to get a little bit better feel of their personality, their playing, strengths and weaknesses, things like that. They'll continue to watch you over the course of your high school and club career. And then once you approach these dates, that's when those lines of communication are really going to open up. Um, so that's NCAA. Moving on. There is also club or rec opportunities. This is available at most schools. Uh, clubs are broken up into D1 and D2, and it's usually determined by the size of the school. There are no scholarships. The interesting thing about club is that they are usually student run. They're not much of a. They're not as much of a commitment as D1, D2, or D3. Um, although I have been a part of some club programs that are run closer to a D3 than they are a club program. It's really just depending on the mix of students that you have and their level of commitment. Um, another cool thing is that it is student run. And what I mean by that is that your captains are scheduling games, scheduling practice, handling all of the logistical details, ordering, uh, you know, handling the budget, hiring the coach, all of those great things. So Club is actually a really great thing for the resume as well um, because it does include uh, a lot of responsibilities that fall on the coach for the other divisions and the other playing opportunities. Um, I highly recommend kids that aren't, you know, they love lacrosse and they love playing, but it's just not their driving motivator for college. Uh, club is still a great option to stay involved. It's a great way to stay in shape. It's a great way to step onto campus with a group of friends like you would, uh, you know, stepping onto a D1, D2, or D3 team. Um, 
so, it, you know, you get that same environment, but with less commitment. And if you decide that you don't want to play, you know, you're there for the school, you're there for whatever it is that you're studying. Um, it's also a great option for kids that have really intense major studies. Uh, you know, you're again with with that level of commitment being a little bit lower, you are able to participate still uh, without sacrificing your academics or, or any of the other clubs or extracurriculars that you want to be a part of. Um, Next are two, uh, two associations that I think kind of go without a lot of recognition and that aren't as well known. Uh, the first is NAIA, the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics. Uh, this is a governing body that is similar to the NCAA. It's just much, much smaller. It's actually older than the NCAA. Um, this is the governing body for about 300 schools and it's broken up into two divisions, Division One and Division Two. It oversees 23 sports. And just to give you guys a good idea to as a comparison, uh, D1 for NAIA is, is going to mirror about a D2 NCAA program. And a D2 NAIA program is going to mirror more of a D3 uh, NCAA program. Uh, both D1 and D2 NAIA offer athletic scholarships, but it really depends on the school and their funding with what they can offer. The interesting thing about NAIA though is that they are not bound by the same recruiting rules as the NCAA is. Uh, so they can actually communicate with athletes at any point throughout their high school career. So because of that very aggressive recruiting, they are able to bring in some top talent and really high level of competition into the NAIA. Um, and average roster size is about 17. So you have smaller rosters, so you're going to get an opportunity to play more. So a lot of kids are finding that they can go to an NAIA school, play all four years, be the standout on their team, go to a smaller school, um, and you know have it paid for. It's a really great opportunity for kids that want a smaller school. A lot of the schools that the NAIA uh, oversees are smaller and, and a lot of them are also private. So if that's the look and feel that you're feeling for, NAIA might be a great fit for you. Uh, with the NAIA, you also get that balanced lifestyle that you get in some Division II and Division III programs. Really, you know, student athlete experience, you're a student first, you can be involved in other things. So really the NAIA is a great option for a lot of student athletes. And I think it just kind of goes overseen because it's not as well known as NCAA. Uh, the last opportunities that I kind of wanted to talk about uh, were junior colleges, JUCO. So JUCOs are a great opportunity for kids who either don't know what they want to study, where they want to go to school. Maybe they don't have the best grades coming out of high school and they need to get those up in order to transfer to a four-year institution. Um, it's also a great way to save money um, and with roster sizes at about 17, so similar to those NAIA schools, uh, you're going to have a chance to really play, really develop your skills. Uh, so for junior colleges, we're seeing a lot of athletes develop socially, athletically, and academically before then transferring in. Um, a lot of the NCAA programs, the top NCAA programs, take transfers from junior colleges every year. Uh, it's a great way for those programs to bolster some of their older, more experienced classes uh, within their team so that the new players on the team aren't all incoming freshmen. Um, so again, there's about 17 on those rosters as well. So with that being said, there's obviously so 
much diversity in the different divisions, in the different organizations, that there really is something for everyone out there. And I think it's really important for all athletes to explore all of these different opportunities. Um, obviously, there are a lot of factors that go into your recruiting. You know, what you want to study, if you want to go to a big school or a small school far away from home or closer to home. Uh, there's so many factors that go into it. Um, and I think a lot of kids, especially when they start talking about, you know, oh, I want to play lacrosse in college, they really zero down um, on those, you know, top 10 Division One programs, and that's all they know about. So that's something that I see a lot is just a lack of knowledge and understanding of one, how many programs and opportunities there really are out there, and two, what those different opportunities look like. Just because you're playing Division Three doesn't mean that you're having any less of an experience than if you play Division One, or if you play club, or if you play NAIA, it doesn't matter. Um, I think the most important thing is that athletes be, uh, you know, honest with themselves about one, what they want their level of commitment to look like. Uh, we see a lot of burnout at the D1 level. Um, athletes who, you know, it looks great, they think it's great, but then when they get there, it, it just ends up being too much. Um, or we get hung up on money. You know, oh, I only wanna play if I'm getting a scholarship. Well, you might not get an athletic, straight up athletic scholarship from a D3 school, but it might actually, between your grades and other non-athletic scholarships that you have access to, it might actually end up being a better bang for your buck than the small division one or division two athletic scholarship that you got. Um, and again, NAIA, they, if, depending on the school, they offer a lot of athletic money and their recruiting rules, you know, they aren't bound by those. So you're going to get answers from them a lot faster. So tons of different opportunities. They all look different. Again, there's something out there for everyone. As I was putting this podcast together, though, uh, you know, I started to run the numbers. I'm a very quantitative person, so all of this information is great, but I'm talking about how many opportunities there are out there, so I just wanted to share some numbers and some figures with you guys. So based on the information that is currently published, so I said earlier that there's a hundred and about 117 Division I programs. I also gave you the roster size. So the average roster size of a Division I program is 30 girls. So if you take that 117, multiply by 30, so those are just the averages, there are 3,510 spots at the Division I level to play at. Now granted, that's not just incoming freshmen, that's split up by four class years, but that's still a lot of opportunity. At the Division II level, there are about 114 programs with an average roster size of 23. That equals out to 2,622 spots. At the Division III level, there are about 293 programs with a roster average roster size of 21, which equals out to 6,153 spots. Um, I didn't add in club just because that information, one, isn't published, but two, there's always the opportunity to play club. Um, but with NAIA, there are 37 programs with a Ross average roster size of 17, which equals 629. And then junior college with 20 programs, average roster size of 17, which equals 340 spots. If you add up Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, and junior college opportunities. There are over thirteen thousand 
opportunities, 13,254 to be exact, uh, with those averages. So there is tons of opportunity to be had um, with a large percentage of those coming with potential athletic money. So try not to get fixed fixated on just the top D1 schools. There are tons of opportunities. They all look different. Um, but I just wanted to paint this picture for you guys and shed a little light on those different opportunities and the different divisions uh, for college women's lacrosse. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. You can email me directly at katie, K-A-T-I-E, at teamlacrosseacademy.com. Uh, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast here on Spotify and iTunes and follow us on Instagram, Team Lacrosse Academy. Thank you guys so much. We look forward to hearing from you soon and I look forward to chatting with you guys next week.